This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, Toronto, Ontario, March 2007. Captain Blood by Raphael Sabatini. Chapter 31. His Excellency the Governor. When the cost of that victory came to be counted, it was found that of three hundred and twenty buccaneers who had left Cartagena with Captain Blood, a bare hundred remained sound and whole. The Elizabeth had suffered so seriously, it was doubtful if she could ever again be rendered seaworthy, and Hagthorpe, who had so gallantly commanded her in that last action, was dead. Against this, on the other side of the account, stood the facts that, with a far inferior force, and by sheer skill and desperate valour, Blood's buccaneers had saved Jamaica from bombardment and pillage, and they had captured the fleet of Monsieur de Riverol, and seized for the benefit of King William the splendid treasure which she carried. It was not until the evening of the following day that van der Kuhlen's truant fleet of nine ships came to anchor in the harbour of Port Royal, and its officers, Dutch and English, were made acquainted with their admiral's true opinion of their worth. Six ships of that fleet were instantly refitted for sea. There were other West Indian settlements demanding the visit of inspection of the new Governor-General, and Lord Willoughby was in haste to sail for the Antilles. And meanwhile, he complained to his admiral, I am detained here by the absence of this fool of a deputy governor. So, said van der Kuhlen, but why should dad de damn you? That I may break the dog as he deserves, and appoint his successor in some man gifted with a sense of where his duty lies, and with the ability to perform it. Aha! But it is not necessary you remain for dat, and he will require no instructions, dis one. He will know how to make Port Royal safe, better nor you or me. You mean blood? Of course. Could any man be better? You have seen what he can do. You think so too, eh? Egad, I had thought of that, and rip me, why not? He's a better man than Morgan, and Morgan was made governor. Blood was sent for. He came, spruce and debonair once more, having exploited the resources of Port Royal so to render himself. He was a trifle dazzled by the honour proposed to him, when Lord Willoughby made it known. It was so far beyond anything that he had dreamed, and he was assailed by doubts of his capacity to undertake so onerous a charge. "'Damn!' snapped Willoughby. "'Should I offer it unless I were satisfied of your capacity? If that's your only objection.' "'It is not, my lord. I had counted upon going home, so I had. I am hungry for the green lanes of England,' he sighed. "'There will be apple-blossoms in the orchards of Somerset.' "'Apple-blossoms!' His lordship's voice shot up like a rocket, and cracked on the word. "'What the devil! Apple-blossoms!' He looked at van der Kuhlen. The admiral raised his brows, and pursed his heavy lips. His eyes twinkled humorously in his great face. "'So?' he said. "'Very poetical!' My lord wheeled fiercely upon Captain Blood. "'You've a pass score to wipe out, my man,' he admonished him. "'You've done something towards it, I confess, and you've shown your quality in doing it. That's why I offer you the governorship of Jamaica, in His Majesty's name, because I account you the fittest man for the office that I have seen. Blood bowed low. Your lordship is very good, but 
Tcha! There's no but to it. If you want your past forgotten and your future assured, this is your chance, and you are not to treat it lightly on account of apple blossoms or any other damned sentimental nonsense. Your duty lies here, at least for as long as the war lasts. When the war's over, you may get back to Somerset and Cider or your native Ireland and its potheen, but until then you'll make the best of Jamaica and rum. Vanderkoolen exploded into laughter, but from blood the pleasantry elicited no smile. He remained solemn to the point of glumness. His thoughts were on Miss Bishop, who was somewhere here in this very house in which they stood, but whom he had not seen since his arrival. Had she but shown him some compassion? And then the rasping voice of Willoughby cut in again, upbraiding him for his hesitation, pointing out to him his incredible stupidity in trifling with such a golden opportunity as this. He stiffened and bowed. My lord, you are in the right. I am a fool. But don't be accounting me an ingrate as well. If I have hesitated, it is because there are considerations with which I will not trouble your lordship. Apple blossoms, I suppose, sniffed his lordship. This time Blood laughed, but there was still a lingering wistfulness in his eyes. It shall be as you wish, and very gratefully, let me assure your lordship. I shall know how to earn his majesty's approbation. You may depend upon my loyal service. If I didn't, I shouldn't offer you this governorship. Thus it was settled. Blood's commission was made out and sealed in the presence of Mallard, the commandant, and the other officers of the garrison, who looked on in round-eyed astonishment, but kept their thoughts to themselves. "'Now we can about our business go,' said van der Kuhlen. "'We sail to-morrow morning,' his lordship announced. Blood was startled. "'And Colonel Bishop?' he asked. "'He becomes your affair. You are now the governor. You will deal with him as you think proper on his return. Hang him from his own yard-arm. He deserves it.' "'Isn't the task a trifle invidious?' wondered Blood. "'Very well. I'll leave a letter for him. I hope he'll like it.' Captain Blood took up his duties at once. There was much to be done to place Port Royal in a proper state of defence, after what had happened there. He made an inspection of the ruined fort, and issued instructions for the work upon it, which was to be started immediately. Next he ordered the careening of the three French vessels, that they might be rendered seaworthy once more. Finally, with the sanction of Lord Willoughby, he marshalled his buccaneers, and surrendered to them one-fifth of the captured treasure, leaving it to their choice thereafter either to depart or to enroll themselves in the service of King William. A score of them elected to remain, and amongst these were Jeremy Pitt, Ogle, and Dyke, whose outlawry, like Blood's, had come to an end with the downfall of King James. They were, saving old Wolverstone, who had been left behind at Cartagena, the only survivors of that band of rebels convict who had left Barbados over three years ago in the Cinco Lagas. On the following morning, whilst van der Kuhlen's fleet was making finally ready for sea, Blood sat in the spacious whitewashed room that was the governor's office, when Major Mallard brought him word that Bishop's homing squadron was in sight. "'That is very well,' said Blood. "'I am glad he comes before Lord Willoughby's departure. The orders, Major, are that you place him under arrest the moment he steps ashore. Then bring him here to me. A moment,' he wrote a hurried note." that to Lord Willoughby aboard Admiral van der Kuhlen's flagship. Major Mallard saluted and departed. Peter Blood sat back in his chair and stared at the ceiling, frowning. Time moved on. 
came a tap at the door, and an elderly negro slave presented himself. Would His Excellency receive Miss Bishop? His Excellency changed color. He sat quite still, staring at the negro a moment, conscious that his pulses were drumming in a manner wholly unusual to them. Then he quietly assented. He rose when she entered, and if he was not as pale as she was, it was because his tan dissembled it. For a moment there was silence between them, as they stood looking at each other. Then she moved forward, and began at last to speak, haltingly, in an unsteady voice, amazing in one usually so calm and deliberate. "'I—I—Major Mallard has just told me—' "'Major Mallard exceeded his duty,' said Blood, and because of the effort he made to steady his voice, it sounded harsh and unduly loud. He saw her start and stop, and instantly made amends. "'You alarm yourself without reason, Miss Bishop. Whatever may lie between me and your uncle, you may be sure that I shall not follow the example he has set me. I shall not abuse my position to prosecute a private vengeance. On the contrary, I shall abuse it to protect him. Lord Willoughby's recommendation to me is that I shall treat him without mercy. My own intention is to send him back to his plantation in Barbados.' She came slowly forward now. I—I I am glad that you will do that. Glad, above all, for your own sake. She held out her hand to him. He considered it critically. Then he bowed over it. I'll not presume to take it in the hand of a thief and a pirate, said he bitterly. You are no longer that, she said, and strove to smile. Yet I owe no thanks to you that I am not, he answered. I think there's no more to be said— unless it be to add the assurance that Lord Julian Wade has also nothing to apprehend from me. That, no doubt, will be the assurance that your peace of mind requires? For your own sake, yes, but for your own sake only. I would not have you do anything mean or dishonouring. Thief and pirate though I be? She clenched her hand, and made a little gesture of despair and impatience. Will you never forgive me those words? I'm finding it a trifle hard, I confess— but what does it matter when all is said? Her clear hazel eyes considered him a moment wistfully. Then she put out her hand again. I am going, Captain Blood. Since you are so generous to my uncle, I shall be returning to Barbados with him. We are not like to meet again, ever. Is it impossible that we should part friends? Once I wronged you, I know. And I have said that I am sorry. Won't you, won't you, say good-bye? He seemed to rouse himself to shake off a mantle of deliberate harshness. He took the hand she proffered. Retaining it, he spoke, his eyes somberly, wistfully considering her. "'You are returning to Barbados,' he said slowly. "'Will Lord Julian be going with you?' "'Why do you ask me that?' she confronted him quite fearlessly. "'Sure, now, didn't he give you my message, or did he bungle it?' "'No, he didn't bungle it. He gave it me in your own words. It touched me very deeply.' It made me see clearly my error and my injustice. I owe it to you that I should say this by way of amend. I judged too harshly where it was a presumption to judge at all. He was still holding her hand. And Lord Julian, then? he asked, his eyes watching her, bright as sapphires in that copper-coloured face. Lord Julian will no doubt be going home to England. There is nothing more for him to do out here. But didn't he ask you to go with him? He did. I forgive you the impertinence. A wild hope leapt to life within him. And you? Glory be, you'll not be telling me you refuse to become my lady when— 
"'Oh, you are insufferable!' She tore her hand free and backed away from him. "'I should not have come. Good-bye.' She was speeding to the door. He sprang after her and caught her. Her face flamed, and her eyes stabbed him like daggers. "'These are pirates' ways, I think. Release me!' "'Arabella!' he cried on a note of pleading. "'Are ye meaning it? Must I release ye? Must I let ye go and never set eyes on ye again? Or will ye stay and make this exile endurable until we can go home together? Oh, you're crying now. What have I said to make you cry, my dear? I—I I thought you'd never say it.' She mocked him through her tears. "'Well, now you see there was Lord Julian, a fine figure of a—' "'There was never, never anybody but you, Peter.' They had, of course, a deal to say thereafter, so much indeed that they sat down to say it, whilst time sped on, and Governor Blood forgot the duties of his office. He had reached home, at last. His odyssey was ended. And meanwhile Colonel Bishop's fleet had come to anchor, and the Colonel had landed on the mole, a disgruntled man to be disgruntled further yet. He was accompanied ashore by Lord Julian Wade. A corporal's guard was drawn up to receive him, and in advance of this stood Major Mallard and two others who were unknown to the deputy governor, one slight and elegant, the other big and brawny. Major Mallard advanced. "'Colonel Bishop, I have orders to arrest you. Your sword, sir.' "'By the order of the governor of Jamaica,' said the elegant little man behind Major Mallard, Bishop swung to him. "'The governor? You're mad!' He looked from one to the other. "'I am the governor.' "'You were,' said the little man dryly. "'But we've changed that in your absence. You're broke for abandoning your post without due cause, and thereby imperiling the settlement over which you had charge. It's a serious matter, Colonel Bishop, as you may find. Considering that you held your office from the government of King James, it is even possible that a charge of treason might lie against you. It rests with your successor entirely, whether you're hanged or not.' Bishop rapped out an oath, and then, shaken by a sudden fear, "'Who the devil may you be?' he asked. I am Lord Willoughby, Governor-General of His Majesty's Colonies in the West Indies. You were informed, I think, of my coming. The remains of the bishop's anger fell from him like a cloak. He broke into a sweat of fear. Behind him Lord Julian looked on, his handsome face suddenly white and drawn. But my lord, began the colonel, sir, I am not concerned to hear your reasons, his lordship interrupted him harshly. I am on the point of sailing, and I have not the time. The governor will hear you, and no doubt deal justly by you. He waved to Major Mallard, and Bishop, a crumpled, broken man, allowed himself to be led away. To Lord Julian, who went with him, since none deterred him, Bishop expressed himself, when presently he had sufficiently recovered. "'This is one more item to the account of that scoundrel blood,' he said through his teeth. "'My God, what a reckoning there will be when we meet!' Major Mallard turned away his face that he might conceal his smile, and without further words led him a prisoner to the governor's house, the house that so long had been Colonel Bishop's own residence. He was left to wait under guard in the hall, whilst Major Mallard went ahead to announce him. Miss Bishop was still with Peter Blood when Major Mallard entered. His announcement startled them back to realities. "'You will be merciful with him. You will spare him all you can for my sake, Peter,' she pleaded. "'To be sure I will.' said Blood, but I'm afraid the circumstances won't. She effaced herself, escaping into the garden, and Major Mallard fetched the colonel. His Excellency the Governor will see you now, said he, and threw wide the door. Colonel Bishop staggered in, and stood waiting. 
At the table sat a man of whom nothing was visible but the top of a carefully curled black head. Then this head was raised, and a pair of blue eyes solemnly regarded the prisoner. Colonel Bishop made a noise in his throat, and, paralyzed by amazement, stared into the face of His Excellency, the Deputy Governor of Jamaica, which was the face of the man he had been hunting in Tortuga to his present undoing. The situation was best expressed to Lord Willoughby by Vanderkulen as the pair stepped aboard the Admiral's flagship. "'It is very poetical,' he said, his blue eyes twinkling. "'Captain Blood is fond of poetry. You remember the apple blossoms? So? Ha-ha!' <laughs> End of chapter 31 End of Captain Blood by Raphael Sabatini